0: to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I'm
1: the co-host, Austin. And I don't know shit about crime, and she knows a lot about crime.
0: And um, <clears throat> I do have a bit of a cold going on, so I do apologize for the way I sound. I probably sound pretty congested, um, and I am super tired. But guess what? Austin is in a really good and hyper mood, so he's going to really balance me out. I'm just
1: high on life right now.
0: And uh, today we're going to offer you another exciting, entertaining case. About crime and killers.
1: That's what we do. Mama Mystery with the murder history.
0: That's right. So. It needs to be a sticker. Yeah, I think you're right. You always say that. Oh,
1: how do you get stickers? We'll tell you. You become a Patreon. Early access to cool shit, stickers, and more.
0: Yep. Stickers will be going out probably this week. We, I kind of wanted to wait until we had uh, more Patreons because as they come in, I want to like get everyone's out at the same time. So anyway, you can be expecting those in the mail very soon. So today's episode, Austin, is about the killer hiccup girl. You ever heard of her? (laughs) That was made up. It's not made up.
1: The killer hiccup girl. Yeah. Quit doing that. (laughs) The killer hiccup girl?
0: Yeah. She was known as the hiccup girl. Yes. Okay. So back in 2007, Jennifer Mee, otherwise known as the hiccup girl, was making the rounds through national morning shows like Good Morning America and The Today Show for an unrelenting case of the hiccups fake she was hiccuping up to 50 times per minute
1: oh my gosh this is such horse shit already
0: <laughs> she reportedly tried tons of remedies but to no avail and then finally the hiccup stopped after she started taking medicine for tourette's syndrome and so apparently the hiccups were kind of like a tick from tourette's That you she. it you know, I don't know. I, I think she OK, so I, I see on social media, specifically TikTok, this um, pick-me type of girl. You know, there's always like the pick-me girl, and she's always like, I don't know, just vying for attention no matter how she can get it. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of got that energy from Jennifer and Me. I felt like she was a bit of a pick-me girl. But then again, she was bullied in school for this. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Has anyone, anyone ever suffered from an unrelenting case of the hiccups? Not me. Not anyone I know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: Somebody's going to say, one star, they made fun of people who have the hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> but cancel culture.
0: How do you get rid of hiccups?
1: I just say, hey, I will hope these you stop and oh. go away eventually. Okay,
0: I learned a trick. My dad taught me this when I was a kid. You drink from a cup from the opposite end of the cup. So, like, you put your mouth on the opposite end of the cup. And then, like, you have to tilt your head forward and kind of drink upside down. And it gets rid of them. Maybe it's just a distraction to get rid of them. I've I heard know. it all. I don't know. But she says she tried syrup and sugar and all these things. And just, it never worked. And she would literally just talk. Every other word she'd hiccup, it was... Really bizarre. But anyway. I wouldn't <clears> want to hang out with her. No, I probably wouldn't either. But just three years later, she was back in the headlines. But this time, she was no longer this little media darling with a bad case of the hiccups. This time, she was being accused of murder.
1: I'm. You know what? I'm honest with you. Kay. I'm glad that she wasn't the one that got murdered because then I'd have to feel bad about what I said. And now so I do So you're
0: just glad she is the murderer in no, this scenario? No, I mean, I'm
1: not trying to, don't paint <laughs> me to be the bad guy.
0: All right, let's get started. Okay. So Jennifer Mee was born on July 28th of 1991 in St. Petersburg, Florida. I swear the craziest shit always happens in Florida, does it not?
1: That's because everybody's down there just waiting. That's what is it?
0: Heaven's waiting room? God's,
1: that's God's waiting room. All the retired folks down there sitting on the beach melting. God's America's waiting room. America's basement. What? America's basement.
0: America's basement. It's <laughs> all Listen, chilling. Don't come for me. I love Florida. My mom was born and raised in Florida. I, I love Florida. Florida okay. But Shout like, out to Florida. You can't deny that there's some it's crazy God's people in Florida. It's God's waiting room. So anyway, she was the oldest of five sisters. And at an early age, her parents split up, which she did not take very well. And this reportedly caused some abandon issues later on in her life, as sometimes these things will do. So with the separation, her mom had to work tirelessly to support the family so that she so she didn't have like a lot of parental supervision growing up. I've heard mixed reports, actually. I've heard that, you know, her mom wasn't around because she was working a lot. And then I've heard that their family was, like, so tight-knit and they always spent time together and everyone knew what was going on in each other's lives. So, I mean, maybe there's a little truth to both. But anyway, her family still had a strong set of core values. So she rarely got in trouble as a kid. And she did fairly well in school. I mean, she wasn't, like, a a straight-A student, but she wasn't failing either. And I she guess, had the
1: hiccups then, too?
0: Yeah. The, well, she had the hiccups um, back in 2007. So Right.
1: But what about before that?
0: No, she didn't get the hiccups until 2007. It just randomly started one day. Got it. And lasted for, like, three or four weeks. Maybe it was five weeks before they finally... I'll get there, okay? Just pause. So, anyway... Growing up, Jennifer admits that she was raped and molested at a young age. And like many victims of sexual assault or abuse, she did not tell anyone. And she suffered through that alone. And as she got older, she started seeking male attention that she wasn't getting from a decent father figure at home. And she was doing this through destructive ways, like getting involved with the wrong kinds of people, hooking up with drug dealers and using sex to pay for her habit. Like it was a really bad, a bad road she was going down. She desperately craved attention because somehow, and I feel like we see this a lot, you know, we always call it like these daddy issues, but um, somehow this attention she got from males, whether it was positive or negative, was somehow validating like her self-worth. I feel like you see it all the time. But um anyway, when she finally got this relentless case of the hiccups at age 15, people were fascinated by it and that kind of like catapulted her into the spotlight for just a moment. It started with a local newspaper running a story on her and then within days she was being interviewed by Meredith Vieira on the Today show. But like I said earlier, once her hiccups ceased, so did the attention. And they finally figured out, like I said, that you know her hiccups were caused by an involuntary tick of Tourette syndrome. So once she got on medication for that, the hiccups went away. And she tried returning to her normal life, but kids at school were really starting to make fun of her. And I think a lot of people did assume that she faked the whole hiccup thing for attention. I mean, you know, she... She tried to get attention in a lot of ways. So, I mean, who could put it past her? But Mm -hmm. whether or not that's true, I don't know. With this, she fell back into the same destructive tendencies of doing drugs, running with a bad crowd. And they were dealing drugs, committing crimes like theft. All in all, they were just not the type of people you would want to bring home to your parents. Like, these were the people she was running with. So her antics and her big ego from her 15 minutes of fame started causing problems at home. So Jennifer started running away and in March of 2009, she dropped out of high school, literally like right before she was due to graduate and moved out of the house. She stayed on various friends' couches and moved between shelters and without a job or a completed education she just fed herself by stealing from gas stations and running around on the streets. And it was on these streets that she met and started dating an aspiring rapper named Lamont Newton. So Lamont Newton was 22 years old. He grew up in a really unfortunate situation. His story is heartbreaking. I mean every, both of these stories are heartbreaking. So don't get me wrong, but his dad left when he was really little and his mom died when he and his siblings, well, he was only 16. So they never had much growing up. So he was very familiar with living life on the streets. And after his mom passed, he and his brothers became homeless. So they slept in cars or on benches at bus stops. But through all those hardships, he stayed in school and it wasn't until a teacher noticed his struggles that he was offered some financial help. So one of his teachers actually hooked him and his brothers up with a hotel room and some money for food and some clean clothes. And by the grace of God and this teacher, he was able to graduate from high school. But after graduating, he, you know, kind of was on his own and he stuck to hustling rather than finding like a real job. And that's when he met LaRon Rayford. So they started running together and this kind of led to like a group of kids on the street. It's not, I wouldn't call it necessarily like a gang. It was just this one tight knit group of friends that all kind of lived on the street. Mm. So... Jennifer was, of course, a part of this group. She and Lamont really hit it off, became a couple. And with him being like the ringleader of this group, she kind of effectively became like the queen of the group, right? Because she's with the ringleader. So it gave her like this new sense of pride and entitlement. She quickly learned how to hustle, how to deal drugs, how to make money, And by the fall of 2010, Lamont and Jennifer were able to afford an apartment downtown in St. Petersburg with his running buddy, Leron Rayford, and his girlfriend, Jenny Sharone. So they literally would spend their days hustling to make money, and then their nights partying just to spend it all away.
1: Man, I wish they would spend their days hustling to make money. And then find themselves an apartment and then get a job and then get out of hustling and it'd be like man the drug hustle got me to a better life and that's really unfortunate that they did it, but they made their way out.
0: Yeah, at least they made the best of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: they pissed the money away.
0: It's just choice after choice yeah. at this point. Choices. So anyway, on the evening of October 23rd, 2010, a man was walking his dog in the neighborhood of Jennifer and Lamont's apartment. And he came upon a man who he thought was just a transient sleeping in an alleyway who, you know, maybe he needed some help. He seemed to be like passed out. His dog snuck up to the man to sniff around and the man lying on the ground did not budge. So That's when the guy, the dog walker, called the police for help. So when the police arrived to the scene, they knew almost immediately that this was not a transient homeless man, as he was actually dressed in really nice clothes. But they also noticed that his pants were unzipped and unbuttoned, pulled down below his crotch... The pockets of his pants had been pulled out, and his polo shirt was stained with blood after he had clearly been shot. So he had actually been shot three times in the chest and once in the arm. He was also found with a backpack on, and his hand was wrapped around one of the straps of his backpack, and his um, Vespa scooter was also nearby, so this appeared to be a robbery, or since it was in a remote alleyway, maybe it was a drug deal gone wrong. And nearby, police found a pair of goggles that you might wear on like a motorcycle, and then his abandoned uh, moped. So they ran the plates on the moped, and it came back to a man named Sh- Shannan. I'm sorry, not Shannon. Shannon Griffin. I get. I keep wanting to like pronounce it correctly and I want to say Shannon, like the Chris Watts case. Anyway, Shannon Griffin. Police went to this address that was listed for Shannon Griffin, and it was an apartment that he shared with his cousin Doug Bolden. And they broke the news to Doug. He was absolutely stunned. Of course, um Shannon was a talented high school football player who moved from Mississippi just 1 year earlier after his family was uprooted due to um Hurricane Katrina. So Shannon, I'm sorry, oh my gosh, Shannon was a good kid who worked full-time at uh, Walmart. He was very proud of his job. He did not do drugs because of the drug testing that his job would randomly require. And he didn't do, like, he didn't have anything on his criminal record whatsoever. So he really was a good kid. He worked really hard to pay his dues. And it was actually his cousin who encouraged him to, like, get out and have some fun, because all he ever did was work. So on the night of October 23rd, Shannon did just that. He got dressed up to go out, but didn't tell Doug where he was going or who he was meeting up with. He just had a hunch that he was meeting up with a girl, because he looked really nice, and he was like drenched in cologne, according to his cousin. He kind of joked about it. He was like, my whole apartment stunk like cologne when he left, because he used so much. So Without much to go on, police pull Shannon's cell phone records, and it showed that the last person he spoke to on the phone last night was a phone number registered to Leron Rayford. So they look him up and find that he has an extensive criminal record, and his address is nearby. So they go to the address, nobody answers, but the neighbors admit that rumors had been swirling around the complex that Laron was involved in a homicide and that he didn't act alone. And what's crazy is like this is all happening within like the first 48 hours. Like you always hear the first 48 mm-hmm. are the most important, but this is all happening within the first 48 hours. <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, it was actually happening within the first 24 hours. Like it was that fast. That's wild. So the rumor was that LaRon had a male accomplice, and this neighbor didn't know his name, but knew that he was the boyfriend of the hiccup girl, Jennifer Mee. So investigators had already gone to... So she had
1: already had her fame of the hiccups. Yes.
0: Yep, this is after, three years later. So investigators had gone to the listed address where Laurent Lamont, and Jennifer were supposedly living, but nobody answered. So they came up with a plan to canvass the entire complex and go door to door. And just as they're driving through the complex, they spot Jennifer walking with a friend. And right at that time, police get word that they know which apartment the boys are in. So they're knocking on the door of that apartment. And of course, nobody is answering, but they can see movement in the apartment. So police threatened to break the door in if they didn't come out. And LaRon and Lamont opened the door and surrendered and came outside. So as LaRon and Lamont are being put in the back of the squad cars, Jennifer runs up and she's all emotional, of course, begging to say goodbye to her boyfriend. And then she offers to go to the station herself. So <clears throat> at the station, Laurent is telling them everything that went down. And his first version of events was that he and Lamont were walking in the alleyway and just happened to walk up on Shannon, And a fight broke out for whatever reason and shots were fired. Like he just made it a pretty simple story. But police of course knew that there had to be more to this story. And with Jennifer Mee in the next room... Laron came clean about what really happened, and he told investigators that Jennifer, maybe in an effort to gain some street cred, concocted this plan to meet a guy online, seduce him a little bit, and make plans to meet up so that they could rob him. So,
1: Which would explain his pants being down and... Yes. Meeting and his phone call and everything else.
0: Sure, yeah. So she got on a social networking site called MoCo Space. Had you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. I had never heard of that. I know MySpace, but I had never heard of MoCo Space. Never heard of it. So anyway, she was on this website and introduced herself to Shannon as the hiccup girl who gained notoriety and fame just a few years ago. And they flirted back and forth and exchanged messages for a few days. But in an effort to ensure that he showed up with some money, she offered to sell him some weed. However, it's believed that he never intended to buy weed since he didn't smoke. He really just wanted to meet up with Jennifer. So he was like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And like, whatever it takes, let me just meet you. Mm-hmm. So they make plans to meet up near this vacant house nearby. And once Shannon gets there... Uh, Jennifer says that she wants to go to a place a little more private. So she leads him back into the alleyway and little did he know, Lamont and Laron were waiting right around the corner. So according to Laron, they both attacked Shanon, but he fought back. And once Lamont saw Laron getting beat by Shanon, that's when Lamont pulled out the gun. So Shanon... Um, fought Lamont for the gun, and in the midst of this scuffle, LaRon just dips out and runs off. But then he hears gunshots go off, like as he is running away. And he told investigators he wasn't sure who shot the gun, if it was Lamont or Shannon. But then, of course, Lamont meets up with him and tells him that he had to shoot Shannon. So, in the room next door, investigators confront Jennifer with LaRon's version of events. To which she admits is true, except she tells investigators that it wasn't her idea or plan. It was Lamont and LaRon's. She said that once she saw a gun during the fight, she took off. And then, of course, Lamont also claimed that Laron's version of events were true. Or were true except for the fact that he was not the one who shot Shannon. He did, however, confirm that Jennifer Mee was, in fact, the mastermind who set it all up. So even though their stories differ a little bit, each one proves that they were all three involved in this crime, right? And, of course, nobody is admitting or taking ownership to who pulled the trigger. But in the state of California, or I'm sorry, in Florida... It doesn't matter who pulled the trigger, when someone ends up dead in the midst of a crime, each person involved in that crime that ended in murder is culpable for that murder. They are quite literally guilty by association. So each one of them was charged with first degree murder. So prior to the trial, Laron was offered a plea deal of 40 years in exchange for a guilty plea, but he rejected that deal and chose to take his chances in court, which proved to be a huge mistake because DNA evidence from the gun used showed that Laron. And only LaRon's DNA was found on the trigger or even the gun itself. So this, of course, proves that it was LaRon that pulled the trigger. So he was found guilty of first-degree murder, sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And if he had just pled guilty, he would have only gotten 40 years. But now he's got to spend the rest of his life. And it means no parole. Like, you're done. No chance. It's a death sentence, essentially. Lamont's attorney tried to tried their best to prove that Lamont had no intent to kill Shannon, and that he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But because of his presence at the scene, the jury found him guilty of first-degree murder, and he was also sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole. And then Jennifer Mead offered to plead guilty in exchange for 15 years, but this was not accepted she ended up having to go to trial, and during the trial, the prosecution played this phone call between Jennifer and her mom, so I'm going to try to play it for you. me, made breaking the news to her mom. I got charged from murder to first degree. Murder to first
1: degree? Yes, sir. What's that just included to you? Go? Um, I didn't do nothing. I was just there at the wrong time, at the wrong place. Not
0: near. Okay, so I know that's like, crappy audio. That's literally all I could get. But during the call, you can hear, I'm pretty sure it's her mother, um, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> her brother asking who, why she's in jail. She says, murder in the first degree. And he says, who do you kill? And she's like, I didn't kill nobody. And then later on in the phone call, um, her mom gets on the phone. And during that call, you can hear her mom ask her why she's in, cha- in jail. She says she's in there for first degree murder. Mom asks, who'd you kill? And Jennifer says, I didn't kill nobody. I just set it all up. It all went wrong. It just went downhill after everything happened. End quote. That is what she told her mom. So the prosecution was able to prove that she was the one who set this whole thing up. And her defense claimed that. She was schizophrenic and on a lot of medications at the time. But after a psychological evaluation, she was deemed competent to stand trial, even though her intelligence was at the low end of normal, which I kind of thought was funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's just like, oh, girl, oh, no. I mean, I feel like, you know, we kind of knew that all along. But anyway, she was ultimately found guilty of first-degree murder And she was also sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And her attorney has since motioned for a new trial, but all of her appeals have been denied. So I just thought this case was really interesting for a couple reasons. One, because you see this girl go from essentially being this little media darling and, you know, she's on the Today Show and Good Morning America. She's like, oh, this poor girl has the hiccups. Like, that sucks, you know, but, you know, she also kind of seems annoying, but whatever. That's besides the point. Mm -hmm. And then she gets charged with this murder. And I just find it so wild that, like, even though she didn't pull the trigger and maybe it was never a plan to actually kill him, maybe it was just a plan just to rob him, And, you know, she wasn't the one who made that decision to pull the trigger. She still gets life in prison. I mean, that's...
1: And she did set it all up, though.
0: She set up the meeting.
1: I get what you're saying. It's like kind of like a... I don't know. I mean, I think her character was definitely shit.
0: Oh, for sure. And
1: so it's not like we're really missing out on anybody out there free.
0: Right. And, I mean, I'm sure her family would disagree. And I think, you know, some people are... Um like rehabable i don 't know if I'm saying the right word there, but you know i I think some people can turn it around, but would she have been capable of that i don't I don't know, and now we'll never know because she right. made such a poor choice, and you know i don't know. I feel kind of like it's similar to like okay, if you're riding in a vehicle and you choose to race the car next to you, right, and if the person in the back seat like let's say Jennifer's in the back seat, she's like let 's race that car, yeah, let's do it. So the driver, which would have been LaRon, you know, presses on the gas and then at the last minute kind of loses control over the situation and hits the car that they're racing. And the people in that other car die. Should Jennifer be the one that's yeah, responsible for th- that? I mean, like, that's but, just okay, how I'm kind of trying to make an analogy in my head.
1: Right. No, and, and I think it's a tough analogy to make regardless. Okay, let's say there's a driver in the car, LaRon, and Jennifer's in the back seat and goes race. And then they stomp the gas and then they get pulled over. Who's, should Jennifer get in trouble because she's the one that provoked the race?
0: See, and I don't think so because so, see, but it's, I yeah. think it's whoever but, put but their then, foot on the but gas. But then again,
1: it's such a hard comparison to draw because you're talking about an actual person's life. Yeah. So it's a whole other ballgame. So I that's think it's what too I'm hard. saying. Like if yeah. you
0: start racing the person next to you and then –
1: It's too hard to draw a comparison.
0: Like the person wasn't agreeing to this race either. So like the person that died. So, I mean, I don't know. I was just trying to to think of an analogy and that was probably a shitty one. I'm sorry, guys. But, you know, I was just trying to think like, man, it's kind of crazy though. That like, even though, yeah, she planned this shitty plan, right? To rob a guy, an innocent guy who had his whole life ahead of him, was a good kid. Like, yeah, she planned to rob him and that sucks. And you should serve some time for that. But it wasn't her plan for this guy to, like, lose his life, and now she has to spend the rest of her life in prison. So, I mean, I don't know.
1: I completely understand when I say this that I'm probably on the insensitive side of things, but I don't think we're missing out on a lot being on the streets with Jennifer Me being locked up, and you know what? She's probably just she just chuck along there in prison and make some friends in there and at least she gets to live. I don't know. At I least also, she gets
0: to live. the that's whole claim true. that
1: pisses me off is the whole claim, which I've talked about before, of I'm a psycho. Like, I don't right,
0: know. Right. When I've people never, claim, like, oh, I just wasn't in my right mind.
1: I've never been able to get on board with that. And the last thing I'll say is if your 15 minutes of fame was because you had hiccups, it's appreciated life.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that's really like the peak of your, your whole career as a person, as a human being. Yikes.
1: Since we're talking about drag racing, one time when I was sixteen, I was in a Lincoln Navigator and I I was in a family member's Lincoln Navigator, I was seventeen maybe. And I I uh was next to a car and we quote unquote raced off the line when the light turned green. Mm -hmm. But it's a Lincoln Navigator and it was super heavy and not fast. And (laughs) Right I'm be- just
0: imagining this. Right like,
1: behind me, there huge was a cop. SUV.
0: Oh my god!
1: Austin. And it and it lit me up. And I literally got through the intersection and took a right into Walgreens. And I pulled in. And he goes, "Did your parents not teach you to check your rear view mirror for a cop before you engage in a drag race?" And I said, "I'm in a Navigator."
0: <laughs> I'm in a Town Car.
1: <laughs> I said, "I'm in a Navigator," and he said, "What's your point?" And I said, "You think I'm drag racing in a Navigator?" And he said. Do I have stupid written on my forehead? (laughs) I so badly wanted to say yes, but I didn't.
0: You know, if anyone doubts this story, I can promise you it's true. Austin has a mouth, and he's not always afraid to use it. So I definitely believe your story, babe. I do.
1: Mama. Mystery. (laughs) Out.
0: Bye. (laughs) I can't do a high pitch. I have a cold. Bye. (laughs)